GFO Radio. I am your host Alejandro Rojas and I have with me Martin Super Duper Willis. Wow. I, I never know what you're going to say. So, uh, How do you like yeah. this one, Super Duper? Super Duper. Wow. I've done it well, before, I think. Maybe. You never remember. That's what's nice. I know. It's about, great that I lost my memory. Yeah. It's good yeah. for me because then when I do like this nickname, you don't remember I've done it before and you think it's original. Well, I like losing my memory because when I go places, it's like, wow, this is really great. I feel <laughs> like I've never been there before. Wow. That's funny. Cause, and it, it's funny because it's like, you know, Karen can be like that. And, and it's, like, it's like doing that 51st State show or something like that. Yeah. It's but, a double-edged uh, sword. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, we have a great show today. Our guest is Nick Redfern, and this is exciting because uh, some of you may remember a few weeks ago, George Knapp was on the show, and he talked about that recording wasn't the best because uh, I was actually in Wyoming, and literally, uh, for those of you who watch the uh, UFO, UFO Seriously Live on YouTube, I seriously watched out of doing that live thing with a panel to go call George uh, and sit on this couch in the lobby to interview him. So the interview audio quality wasn't as good, of course, as me sitting here in the office. But I, I had posted a transcript. And in that interview, George emphasized, and he had done this before, and it's an aspect I know he is trying to emphasize. And I as well, because it's an important part of the story, but that essentially that original version of the defense program uh, to investigate UFOs and other paranormal things like Skinwalker Ranch lost funding because of this religious, this this what he called a cabal of religious uh, fundamentalists inside the government who felt that this was all demonic and they wanted uh, mm. an end put to it. And in fact, Luis Elizondo wrote an article recently where he kind of also emphasized that and said, you know, uh, this shouldn't play a part when we're making decisions about science and investigation. And that uh, these people had actually ruined the person, his predecessor, uh, when they went after this this uh you know project to investigate the paranormal and everything and and certainly i know from um uh talking to lou that he said you know this is why we were kind of we really when we when that project ended which was called osap if you followed some of you know it's, it's all complicated but um when that went under then an elizondo created a tip what to he kind of made the scope smaller and they really were careful 
not to make any waves because they didn't want to draw the ire of these people either. So really fascinating. But George Knapp had mentioned that Nick Redfern had written about this and had done investigation about it. So today our guest is Nick Redfern, and we're going to be talking about this very topic. Interesting. Yes, wow. this ought to be fascinating. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, Nick is great. Yeah. So, and then of course Perfect. you had him on the show because you have to copy me. So you had him on your That's show true. recently. Somehow you had my email, or actually you're getting in my brain, aren't you? I'm trying. You know, but it's it's hard to do. You from did this it distance, somehow. You did yeah, it with Disney. I did. Wow. So, get out of my brain. Yeah. Just uh, just that be is, careful. That is, you know, you you shouldn't be entering people's minds without permission, Martin. Well, uh, you know, just uh, you know, just lighten up on the sugar a little bit. You know, I'm watching. You're, you're doing eating it again. a little too much sugar. You're yeah. doing it again. So, Cut that out. Sorry. Well, so anyway, that'll be our guest uh, momentarily. It's going to be great. But before then, we have the amazing Martin, uh, the mind reading, mind uh, uh, super duper passing. Yeah, super duper Martin. So, uh, and of course, you're here to talk about UFO news. So, what's on your mind, buddy? I can't read your mind, so I don't know no. uh, prior what you you would be talking about. So, I've, I've got a spam blocker. Yeah. So. Anyway, on the Open Minds uh, website and under UFO updates, I found this link, and it's uh, uh, on the, the Las Vegas Now website, and written by the very beloved George Knapp and Matt Adams. Um, so it's an iTeam article titled, The Race is On to Solve the Mystery of Unknown Materials. Now, there may have been pictures of this uh, one object that supposedly came from a uh, the bottom of, the, of a wedge-shaped craft back in the late 1940s, but I haven't seen it until right now, and it's really a really an amazing-looking uh, piece of uh, metal or some type of strange-looking object. So basically, the article is saying a global scramble is underway to identify and perhaps replicate unidentified mystery materials that have been collected in multiple sites around the world. Now, there's also a video that accompanies this, too. You can check out the video. And a few samples have been defied analysis by leading scientists who say they don't know how the material was engineered or why or by whom. Some of the metamaterial was allegedly collected and in connection with UFO incidents, which gives the whole endeavor an otherworldly glow and uh, it goes on to say that this piece is multi-layered uh, this piece in particular that is pictured it's multi-layered bismuth and magnesium uh, sample and the bismuth layers are less than the width of human hair and magnesium sample samples are about 10 times the size of a human hair and so they're just basically uh, uh, wondering how this was put together uh, basically uh Dr. Hal Putoff, you know, puts in his two cents. Um, and But anyway, it's being studied by several people. Now, as far as I know, it's, uh, it's very, uh, very costly, first of all, to do analysis of this type. And um, I'm just wondering where exactly, it doesn't really say, says, you know, different people are chiming in here, but it doesn't say what type of, um, you know, I, they would have to get some unbiased type of, uh, you know, company that 
that does this type of analysis. Do you know anything about that part of it? Not a whole lot. I, and I mean, I, I think they, they haven't shared uh, a lot purposefully. Although, if you go to, to the stars, they have talked about kind of some of the steps they would take, um, some of the testing that they would do. And essentially what happens is that when you go to a lab, especially for these sorts of, of tests, it, it, the lab itself is your... your um, uh, they have a reputation because every lab needs to have a reputation that they do analysis correctly um, and they provide accurate data, you know, that they keep their machines clean or free of, of abnormalities that could affect the uh, the outcome. So in the past, when I've dealt with this sort of thing, uh, you the analysis gets done, then you have a set of data. And that data is pretty strong because every lab, there's not many labs that have this expensive equipment that you need. And so they have a reputation. This is why, one another reason it's, it's difficult to get UFO stuff uh, analyzed. If you have something anomalous or mysterious, it's best to not say that you feel that. Just to say, I've got this uh, piece of material that I would like to have analyzed and don't give any details. Because if you give details, the lab, because reputation is such a big deal, could be worried that it'll, it'll um, you know, hurt their reputation. So they may hmm. say, no, thank you. I don't want to do this analysis. So, right. But once you have that data, it's it, the data itself speaks for itself. That's the beauty of science. And so then people can look at that data. You do need someone uh, very skilled and respected to look at that data to give you a, a response. But even if you don't, even mm -hmm. if you have someone less well-known, at least that can give you um, some path to maneuver down. And essentially, it's just like, you know, the way uh, science works if you have a scientist that interprets the data one way, then you get other scientists to look at it to verify that that's accurate or to say, actually, I think it says this or that it could mean this. And then the debate begins. So, uh, so yeah, so they definitely have access to credible labs. How put off, uh, who seems to be the lead on this, uh, has worked, has had defense contracts, uh, has worked with, you know, and he's worked for corporations. Um, so he's got access to the places and would understand where to go. Uh, however, he probably might not be the person to analyze that data, at least from uh, the big perspective. Then you're going to bring need to bring in people who are educated in chemistry, people who are educated mm -hmm. in uh, materials analysis people like chris cogswell probably uh would be helpful yeah. so yeah so that's where it goes and that's kind of what chris is saying that hey they haven't really told us all that's needed to analyze something like this uh here's my idea of what would be necessary and so these are the steps that they're going to have to take eventually so yeah, and and it takes money to do all of this, and uh, that's right. Um, yeah. The know how, but you know, I think people need to remember these are well connected people. And someone said, "Well, big deal. That doesn't mean they're going to do science." Well, it does because these are people that have reputations that they need to uh, to protect. You know, um, they if they want to work in science in the future, or for instance, Chris Mellon. Uh, who used to work in d defense intelligence, even at the White House, you know, 
And not only that, his family is the Mellon family. So he's got certainly got a very big reputation to uphold. So they're going to have to do things right. And uh, that's why their audience is not necessarily the UFO community. Their audience are the big dogs, you know, the big guys out there. They want to prove to big science that, uh, hey, uh, we've got something anomalous here. If that's what they believe, they're going to have to prove that to the big guys and they're going to get the attention from the big guys. That's why they got the attention from the New York Times and others. So another interesting thing about this material is that this material, and I believe it's what was called Arts Parts, but this is material that Linda Howe had uh, for a period of time. So this is allegedly comes from Roswell in the late 1940s. So uh, the person who, who retrieved it, and she's got all this. If you look at... Let's see, the story is called, and she even talks about how, uh, looking at it, the story is called uh, Mysterious Micron Layers of Alternating Bismuth and Magnesium from Bottom of Web-Shaped UFO. And uh, she talks in that about how put-offs analysis, and she even has this very picture that they use in uh, George Knapp's uh, story. Oh, so the huh. tip picture credited by Tim Bauer, the photographer is credited as Tim Bauer. I'm not sure who that is. That could have been a, uh, the lab technician who was doing the analysis because it kind of looks like it's in a lab setting or something. Or, or I'm not sure who that might have been. But uh, do you know a Tim Bauer? Is that a UFO? Nope. But uh, we do have to be careful because, you know, uh, like Chris pointed out on my show, uh, they may think that this uh, these alternating layers are something that is interesting and, and could only be engineered. But then, you know, you get a geologist who has worked in this field who knows about this rare formation uh, mm-hmm. where it's a natural occurrence because they actually that is naturally occurring. That's that's something that happens in nature. And then we would know that it's not uh, something that was engineered. So there's there's a lot of analysis that needs to be done. There's a, it has to be looked at. At different angles from dis- different disciplines, and uh, but the good thing, what this story you're talking about that George Knapp released confirms, is that this is the material they were talking about uh, Bigelow having, and um, then which is really cool at the end of the story, um, it all, it yeah. makes it seem like Jacques Vallée may have this material actually because uh, it references him, but they also link yeah. to. Our openminds.tv report from Chris, Chris. Cogswell. Yeah. yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, I know at the very end it says uh, Jacques uh, Vallée uh, invites the public to send inquiries or samples of mystery metal to him at the following address, gives him a, his address. I know he has been quietly involved, but I, this is the first time I've actually seen any public um, posting of him um, and being involved in this. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there has been a little bit of that in the background because Valley has claimed to uh, examined uh, alleged UFO material that he even thinks is mysterious. And um, I know they've been in sort of talks with Valley here and there, although he's not a part of their organization. He's not part of TTSA. So, um, yeah, uh, 
really interesting though i mean i i think that yeah. Yeah, as much as people may criticize even chris is like ah, oh, they're not doing this right or at least they're, they're not and as even me i've even said you know they should outline the steps that they're going to take and how they're going to communicate it with the public which i still believe would be helpful on their part but still uh mm-hmm. regardless of all of that we all have our opinion to how things could be done and but uh it's extremely exciting that they're doing this, that, uh, you know, this sort of analysis is getting to this level and that uh, I think they uh-huh. they know full well the scrutiny they're going to receive uh, by making claims. And uh, and that makes that makes it incumbent upon them or is more um, kind of a uh, lights the fire under them to make sure they get this done and they get it done right. So I think this is all positive and fascinating. Right. And, and like you mentioned, the top, you know, scrutinizing segment out there would be the UFO community, <laughs> right. I would think. The UFO community, I, I like this saying, I don't know if I said it on the show, but uh, I, 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 on the chat, and I try and I apologize to people who join the social media because I actually try not to get on there too much. Because I don't know if this happens to you. I know this happens to Lee Spiegel and others I talk to a lot. It can be very demotivating because there's so many mean people out there. Uh, um, mm. And I got to say, the comments, at least on my UFO Seriously Live and YouTube, are vastly, vastly, and which has been shocking to me, really positive, right. really cool people. Even if they disagree, they're really nice about it or at least civil about it. And sure, we can disagree. You and I disagree and stuff, and you don't. You just talk about it. There's no big right. deal. But um, uh, yeah, at least they're. Tr- oh man, where was I going? I had a big point to make there. You, you were saying. Uh, oh yeah, the yeah. I said <laughs> the UFO field tends to eat its own, and the bigger the fish, mm. the more they feast. Um, mm. Of course, these big fishes like Tom DeLong or yeah. Bigelow, people who uh, have reputations and are known and they contribute their efforts and then they just get, you know, just vile hate spewed at them Yeah, from the people who you think should be excited about it. Yeah, it, it, it comes, I guess it comes with the territory. I mean, yeah. like you said. You know, I'd say, you know, 95% of the comments on what I do are really positive and good. And then, you know, there is the, um, you know, I don't know necessarily trolling, but there's uh, there's actually, you know, some of that. But there's a, yeah. there's there's some vile comments do come along, that's for sure. Yep, it's, it's me. And uh, Which... I think there's there can be some jealousies, and I, yeah. I don't, you know, I really don't get, get it all. I mean, um, if someone's doing the right work and they're trying and they have uh, you know they're making a great effort then i i think that's great and um i'm all for anyone that wants to you know try to advance some type of knowledge in this mystery Uh uh-huh so the story that you just referenced is on openminds.tv it's in the ufo headlines it's the Mm -hmm. second story uh and it's not the first and i want to mention the first because the first is really exciting yeah Mm-hmm. But the story after that is what we know and what we believe are not always the same thing. Here's how our per- perception of fact influences our worldview. This is a article on To the Stars, and uh, this is that Lou Elizondo article I was talking about. It's a really great one because he uses like 
uh, you know, his work in anti-terrorism where we can't just go with our gut. We need the facts where we can make tragic mistakes that cost people lives. Um, and so he, he talks about why it's so important and why it is ingrained in him, you know, to follow the facts. But the story after that is a link to To The Stars uh, Facebook from Lou Elizondo. And I had mentioned this before, but I didn't read it thoroughly. And I, I read it. And he actually, it kind of comes back to this. In this presentation that uh, Tom DeLonge and Lou Elizondo did in Rome, they went to Rome and the Rome government invited them, or the Italian government. And so they hmm. did this presentation with scientists and others. And in there, they show an image of uh, Washington, D.C., 1952. That mm-hmm. image is not real. It's not really right. UFOs. It's reflections. Um, mm-hmm. And so out of everything he did, that one mistake people pounced on, and they're like, oh, look, what an idiot. He's terrible. And I get dis- so disappointed in my fellow, you know, some of the researchers. And really, to be honest, I'm like, well, obviously, they don't have their their attention in the right direction. I'm not saying it's bad to point it out. Um, in fact, I sent Lou an email and I said, hey, check this out. This is NICAP's website where they've got really good research on it. And he was very thankful. But on this Facebook post, he apologizes. He says, I um, said this you know, picture was real. I was actually using it just for demonstration purposes. And uh, it's not real. And that was a mistake, and I apologize for that. So he actually apologized for it. And you know Mm. what? I do that, too. I use that image in my presentations about the 1952 uh, UFO wave because it's such an incredibly important event, I feel. In Mm -hmm. fact, you can find it on the front page of our YouTube channel uh, or in our featured videos on the Open Minds YouTube, uh, our report on that. And I even use that image. I'm careful to follow it up and say, this image is not, you know, doesn't represent what really happened. Here's what we know about this image. And as far as I know, there are no images from that. Some people argue that with me, but I have not seen any legit images from that um, event. Uh, but, uh, you know, I could very easily accidentally forget to say that or something, and which sure. seems to be the case with Lou. It's not that big of a deal to, like, you know, say, oh, this whole thing is just a waste of time now because he screwed up uh, this one thing on his presentation in Rome. Wow, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. yeah. But well. I thought that was pretty cool that he actually responded and apologized for that. Yeah. That yeah. flub. It's- yeah, it's it's the right thing to do, and he did it. So, so we only have like a minute, and I want to hear your thought right. about this. Did you see that yeah. first link? I saw the link. Do you remember what it is? Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne. Yes, and what's he doing? He is to star, and uh, he's uh, also the executive producer for Sony Pictures Television UFO drama Rendlesham. Isn't that wild? Yeah, so there's going to be a Rendlesham TV series. I heard about this. Something was going to happen. And, And uh yeah, so this is great. Uh, I hope they do a really good job with it. Yeah, and I I wonder who they'll have play Colonel Holt. Who do you think should play Holt? Oh, my goodness. Wow, and such uh, throwing that at me like that. Let me think. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Colonel Holt was essentially the highest uh, level, highest uh, in-command officer who— uh, in 1980, 
you know, was on this base uh, leased by the UK, uh, by the Air Force, where they saw UFOs. And Colonel Halt was the uh, deputy base commander, and he took some guys out there. They saw this wild thing. We've had him on the show several times. And according to Martin, he's going to be played by... Ernest Borgnine? Michael Caine? <laughs> Isn't Ernest Borgnine passed away? Yeah, but, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But Robert I, I... Duvall. Oh, yeah, that would be... Oh, that'd be great. Or Clint Eastwood? Oh, that'd be good, too. Actually, my, my top vote would be uh, uh, Sam uh, Sam Nell. Do you know Sam who Nell. Oh, Neil. Was, uh, Neil. Sam Neil. Yeah, yeah he, he would on, be uh, uh, that uh, Jurassic dinosaur Park. movie, Jurassic Park. Thank you very much. <laughs> and with that, we ended where we began with your memory issues. Yeah, and super duper. With that, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us, Martin Willis of Podcast UFO. You're very welcome. Ed Harris. Oh, okay. And right after this break, we will be back with Nick Redfern, played by Nick Redfern. I am very happy to welcome back to the show Nick Redfern. Hello. Hey, Alejandro. How's it going? Good, good. It seems that uh, I have you on the show every time you come out with a new book, which means that I have you on every couple months, it seems like. <laughs> and and actually, our, our topic is not necessarily about your latest book, although we could do that. We could have you back and talk more uh, specifically about it. I think that would be really interesting. In fact, I'll, I'll have to get a copy and take a look. But um, we want to talk about something else. However, I would like you to at least kind of share uh, is your book out, what's it about, and what it's titled. Okay. Well, the book is literally sort of just part of the presses, so to speak. It was published on November the 1st, and it's called Top Secret Alien Abduction Files. And it looks at what government agencies know about the alien abduction phenomenon, which is sort of a, a subject you don't get covered that often. You know, there are a lot of books on alien abductions, not so many, if any, really, uh, that cover, you know, the intelligence community's connections and uh, what they feel about the phenomenon and things like that. Interesting. Yeah, that's super interesting. You're always uh, good at taking a different angle. And I mean... Uh, I'm curious, actually, when you're approached or if you're approached by publishers, do they at times want you to do the cookie cutter? Because, you know, I know at least for production, I'm always approached and, oh, we want to do Roswell and Roswell's boring. And you're like, well, we can at least do something different. And they're kind of like, eh, we want to do what everybody else does. Do you come across that and do you push uh, do you push against that? Well, yeah, I do, because there's no real point as i see it is just going over old ground i mean you know it, it, it's like why write a book on roswell that just tells the story that is actually told you across 10 books you know and you just you kind of then condense it into one book but it's it's old material and i don't really get that i mean you know i i i sort of look at things from the perspective of not just being a writer but also a reader of books as well, you know, and I would like to pick books up and see that whether the case is new or old, but if it's an old case, but you've brought a new angle to it, 
or it's just totally no material. I think that's the way to go, you know, uh, for people who are going to spend $15 on a book. They don't just want to pick it up and think, well, hang on a minute, you know, this is taken from Kevin Randall's book and that's taken from Don Schmidt's book on Roswell and this one's taken from Bill Moore's book on Roswell. There's just no point in doing it. So I've been asked to do books like that, but I just I just refuse to do them, you know, because there's no point. It's already out there, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much more exciting things to talk about. And uh, and maybe, you know, what we want to talk about for this show is, is kind of an example of you kind of looking at different aspects. And now, you know, you've got something that has become relevant again, uh, mm-hmm. I feel, which is, uh, you know, I had this interview with George Knapp. And uh, I explained this earlier in the show to the audience that um, George Knapp brought up what he called kind of this religious cabal. And uh, he talked about uh, that you had done some research on this. And would that be an accurate kind of portrayal, uh, a cabal? Yeah, it would, actually. Now, the, the story itself is sort of in the public domain again right now primarily because there's a rela- in relation to when towards the end of last year you know when we had all the revelations through the new york times about this secret ufo program and um and then you had senator harry reid who got into it all talking about how there were people in government that didn't want this research to be undertaken because um they viewed it as demonic and um, a lot of people thought this was a new story, um, you know, the idea that there are people in government who think that the UFO phenomenon is demonic rather than extraterrestrial. But I actually wrote a book back in 2010 on this very issue of, of this same think tank group, or probably the same think tank type group, in the government um, as far back as 2010 was when the book came out. And I started the research in tw- uh, 2007. Now, the reason how and why I got into this story, um, back in 2007, um, I contacted um, a UFO researcher named Ray Boucher. And Ray uh, lives in Nebraska. And he has an intriguing background because as well as being a previous uh, MUFON state director for Nebraska, he's also a priest. So he has like a unique background in as a priest in the church and as a UFO investigator and director. And he'd done a lot of research into the Rendlesham Forest case of 1980. Um, And I was looking around for a few ideas uh, about Rendlesham. I was thinking about doing a book, so that's why I called him up. And Ray basically said, well, yes, I have looked into this quite deeply he said but there's another story that might find you interested you might find interesting i said well what's that and he said well back in 1991 he said he was visited like a clandestine kind of lunch uh, in november 1991 um he had a meeting with two um employees of the department of defense who basically wanted his advice on a program a classified program they were working on um, and the reason being that there have been a number of um, sort of strange deaths and like runs of bad luck and weird stuff had happened in this program. And basically they were co- trying to contact, the DOD project was trying to contact what they called NHEs or non-human entities. And they got into this program 
thinking that they were having sort of these mind-to-mind conversations or contacts with aliens, they came around to believe um, that they were actually sort of uh, engaging with uh, sort of manipulative demons, dangerous demons, quite literally. And, um, and so that's why they approached Ray in 1991 um, about his views on all this. And Ray expanded on the story and told me the, the whole thing as to how he met these guys, how there was a program in the Pentagon which was looking at the demonic angle. And they were even going back and sort of consulting old books on demonology going back to like the 1500s and the 1600s. And they were digging deep into the research of people like Alistair Crowley and uh, Jack Parsons and people who sort of had... Um, had done research and allegedly interacted with these supernatural beings. And the program basically came down to one thing. And the as bizarre as it sounds, this program in the DOD was trying to weaponize the technology that they believe, or the powers is probably the better term, the powers that the supernatural demonic entities possessed. Um, and so, in other words, that was the theme of the of the story and then as ray gave me more data i was able to sort of track down a few of the people who worked in this program um and they put me in touch with one or two other people and i was able to at least you know put um, a significant part of the story together but uh, as i point out early in the book you know this isn't my personal belief you know i, I always stress that in these interviews about the book. I'm not a particularly religious person and I don't personally believe in demons, you know, literal heaven and hell and horns and fiery pits and all that kind of thing, forked tales. I don't believe any of that. But what I found fascinating and why I wrote the book was not to endorse the theory, but I wrote the book because it was such an amazing and bizarre story, namely that there was a small think tank group in the government being funded to clandestinely try and weaponize weaponize the the uh, the powers of demons that is extremely fascinating and um you know it reminds me too when you're writing about this you know um jim mars would write in his books always it's not about what i believe this isn't what i believe it's about what you know people in power believe and that's what we need to be yeah. interested in um and, and we'll get into more details, but it's also kind of there's this Roswell tie in that uh, you just shared that, you know, you don't believe this sort of perspective. But uh, I think it wasn't in Roswell this last festival. You kind of spoke for uh, a group of people who do believe that uh, the, these ideas. How was that? What, this story in relation to Roswell, you mean? Yeah, How? what was it like for you to be speaking for uh, kind of this group uh, that does believe in these things? Oh, well, I mean, you know, I made it very clear to them that, I was in, I, that I'd followed this story, that I'd spoken to Ray Beauchet, and a couple of the guys weren't too happy that sort of, you know, 16 years after their guys met Ray, you know, that I was digging the story up again. Um, but a couple of them were, well, a handful of them, five or six, seven, something like that, were willing to speak to me. And they were sort of predominantly older guys who'd been in this program, actually going way back to the 1970s. Um, that's how long ago this sort of clandestine 
program looking into the demonic angle had existed wow. and, and successfully had been hidden. Um, and I said, you know, this is a fascinating story. And as a as a sort of investigative writer, um, I said, would you be willing to speak to me? And um, there was a bit of silence for like a week or so. And then I got a call back. And, um, and I think there was probably like a, a school of thought within the group that, well, maybe we should put a bit of the story out there and see how the public reacts, how the UFO community reacts. And I think to a degree I was sort of used not used where in you know in terms of being manipulated but right. where they were it was more along the lines of well yeah tell the story and let's see what the response is you know I think they were looking to see how the public might respond because they had views that one day this was all going to come tumbling out you know like Armageddon and you know Judgment Day and all that kind of thing and so they wanted to see how people responded to it now as I said, I was careful to point out the difference between me telling the story and, you know, my own personal, um, you know, feelings on, on the theory itself. Um, but the more I dug into it, the more fascinating it got. I mean, they, they quite literally had like um, a team of, I think, like seven or eight whose entire job was to sort of um, translate ancient manuscripts on how to summon up supernatural entities and this was sort of going on in you know little rooms um in the department of defense you know they were they were quite literally trying to understand how to summon up and call forth demonic entities interact with them and find ways to understand their powers and um and then try and use that if possible against potential enemies but there, there are a lot of other weird things as well um for example i mentioned earlier alistair crowley who was probably the most famous occultist in history um they were heavily influenced by a lot of his research into again trying to summon up supernatural beings and, and call them forward using sort of complicated rituals and rights. So this program, although it was based around trying to weaponize the technology, it was very much also about this group sort of um, heading into like the distant past with ancient books and manuscripts and consulting um, demonologists, uh, people in the church, all, you know, to get their views on on what they saw was going on, you know, in, from their perspective, the idea of like a demonic deception and, and using the UFO phenomenon as its cover. So fascinating. Now, your book on this is called Final Events, right? Um, yes, Final Events. It came out in uh, 2010. And when the book came out, a lot of people were sort of actually worried by the story. They were quite disturbed by it. Other people said... Um, oh, you know, you've been lied to, you've been disinformed. There's no way that the government would ever do anything like, um, you know, look into demonology as a means to turn it into a weapon. And then we find now, uh, at the end of last year, and, and certainly into this year with George Knapp and um, Senator Reid, the story started to surface again, that there are people in the government who... Um, who fully believe this demo this demonic angle for the UFO phenomenon, and it's clear from you know Senator Reid's statements and when um, George Knapp interviewed him 
that this is still going on. This research into the demonic angle is still going on. Now, whether or not it's the same group that Ray Boucher met with way back in 1991, or if it's sort of an offshoot of the group, you know, and that's gone into different pathways, I'm not sure because I don't think we have enough information yet to to say for sure what the modern version of this group's doing. But certainly, um, you know, the, what was going on in the 70s and 80s and 90s really was trying to, um, you know, find ways to weaponize it. And, and certainly the most disturbing thing that Ray Boucher told me was that when he had this clandestine meeting with these two guys from the DOD, um, yet they had the, like an extensive talk all about it and why the government was concerned and what they were doing. But they also uh, took out like a brief, out of a briefcase, an envelope that contained three photographs of two dead men and a, and a dead woman who were sitting in what looked, the best way I described it, they kind of looked like they were sitting in something similar to like a dentist's chair and wearing like coveralls. And the DOD guys told Ray that apparently the three people were volunteers who had tried to contact these uh, demonic entities as a part of this Pentagon program and died in these chairs as a result. Now, they, wow. were, just, they were projecting their mind to try and contact these things. And one of them um, supposedly had like a, like a crook part of the skull was crushed almost if some you know like a giant hand had crushed it but there was nothing to be seen another one had been suffocated again but with no hand or anything like that you know no choking and the other one was through um a heart attack and the group came to believe that these entities were could not be seen in the building where this was going on but they were there and the theory was that all three of them had died as a result of trying to contact these demons, and um, and, it, and it sounds it sounds like you know the, the most far out sort of sci-fi meets horror type movie kind of situation until you realise you know that Ray is a not you know forget just his um, or put to one side his UFO stuff you know he's a respected. Um, priest in the church you know uh, and in his community and uh, and even ray was disturbed by the fact that this was going on and that these guys wanted to consult him because of his unique background in ufology and within the church yeah and you know and now it is being backed up like you said and i want to read a portion of an article that lou elizondo wrote on november 1st and I had I've talked to him personally about this uh, and you know he he doesn't share a lot but uh, in this article he shared I think more the, I think this is the first time he's really addressed the issue and he he talked about it more than ever but I want to read this to you I think you know this speaks to gives complete credibility to what you're talking about he says UAP has even been associated with demons and anti-Judeo-Christian beliefs. I experienced this firsthand during my time working at the U.S. government's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, ATIP, where certain senior government officials thought our collection of facts on UAP was dangerous to their philosophical beliefs. In fact, my ATIP predecessor's career was ruined because of misplaced fear by an elite few. 
Rather than accept the data as provided by a top-ranked rocket scientist, they decided the data was a threat to their belief system and instead destroyed his career because of it. Although in private, each confided to me they knew the phenomena was real, it was it still contradicted their world, uh, their view of the world and their beliefs. Therefore, they viewed the effort as an affront to their religious narrative and belief system. To be clear, these were some of the most incredibly competent and loyal patriots I have ever had the privilege to work with, and their motivations were sincere. Several were dear friends despite disagreement that UAP were demonic in nature. Yeah, that that sort of gets to the heart of it. Um, One of the things I found, the more I dug into it, that it seemed there were two groups, uh, or at least two groups, that were following this demonic path. One of them um, was the group that Ray met with, where experiments had been undertaken and they were trying to interact with these things and weaponize the the powers and so on. Now, there was another group which was trying to put a stop to it. They felt that digging more into this, uh, into the UFO subject and, you know, sort of um, researching it, investigating it, trying to understand it and replicate it. The second group felt that nothing good could come from this, that it could only bring bad things forward and so they tried to have all the other programs shut down because they felt if we investigate this and we look into it it's going to get its claws into us and they felt we need to stay away from it the other group that ray met with they were sort of gung-ho for trying to turn it into you know the next way to destroy the enemy or whatever um so i think the, the quote that you just read, I think that probably relates to the group that had major concerns and we need to stay away from them. Um, as I said, the other group, they were just totally the opposite. You know, they were just looking for ways to to, to use this, you know, the powers of the supernatural in a, in a way that would be sort of, you know, like a, a military goal, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You put a name to one of these groups, uh, and you called them the Collins Elite. Uh, it mm. sounds like that's the latter, the ones who were like, hey, we need to stay away. Is that is that right? Correct, yeah. Well, see, the, the situation with the Collins Elite was, and as by their own admission, that was that's sort of like an informal name. I never did get the official formal title of this program. Um, in the same way, you know, the CIA, they're nickname is the company and um and i think you know it's kind of a similar situation where the collins elite told me and as i've noted in the book that it's not their real name it's the informal name they use when talking to people who aren't cleared to know you know the full program name which is which clearly is a classified name and which has not surfaced to to the best of my knowledge at least but um yeah the, the collins elite they kind of splintered as well, where some of them felt, well, all of them felt that the phenomenon was demonic. And and some of them sort of splintered into the other group where they were like, yeah, we just need to un- understand these powers because one day if somebody was to use a, you know, launch a sneak attack and we get taken out, we could do a better job if we had something that was supernatural and so powerful that no one could could beat us so so some of them in the collins elite did go over to the other side if you like the the darker side so to speak um 
But others moved over to the other group, which I think is relevant, as again, to the quote you made, that um, you know they saw it as a something we should not be messing around with and tampering with and so on. So it does get complicated, admittedly, when you have different factions, both believing in the demonic angle, but both of them approaching it from a de- very different angle. One just trying to embrace it and the other one like hell no we've got to keep away from these things right now it's almost time for a break so we're going to take a a a break here really quick and then we will uh get back more into this but i think uh especially today this is really fascinating and there's a bit of a disconnect in that i think people feel like oh you know in this day and age we we don't have this stuff going on in our military uh or otherwise, but then again, if you look at our our politics of of the day, uh, certainly they're very influenced by people with these uh, kind of sort of beliefs. We see it on a regular basis, and it plays heavily into um, you know the the politics of the day, especially during elections when we've got one. Well, a lot of people are going to be listening to this on Tuesday, so the be election day. But uh, anyway. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We will be right back with Nick Redfern to talk more about uh, this extremely fascinating and not uh, discussed often topic. Uh, By the way, just to give you the full title of his book, it's Final Events and the Secret Government Group on Demonic UFOs and the Afterlife, uh, a must-have book, I think, uh, especially today to understand, you know, what uh, another thing that we face, investigating UFOs or the government having a role in that. But uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with Open Mind UFO Radio. Open Mind UFO Radio. I'm your host, Alejandro Rojas, and we have Nick Redfern on the line talking about his book, Final Events and the Secret Government Group on Demonic UFOs and Afterlife. And in fact, this book was written um, eight years ago, but uh, recent events, uh, as we've mentioned, have kind of brought this topic to the surface again. And as Have you heard much about either of these groups in the last eight years since you wrote your book? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's more information has come through, which demonstrates, you know, that this group, to to some degree, well, not to some degree, is still around. Um, And I think the the splintered uh, aspect of this is still... um, part of the story as well you know there's this sort of almost like almost like a like a silent battle going on somewhere within the dod as to how we should interact with these entities or even if we should interact with them or shouldn't you know and so um but every so often you know somebody who's read the book and who you know has got 
some sort of connections or they may have, you know, retired and wanted to say something. Um, I get a few things like that, you know, where people do come forward and um, and have shared something which clearly demonstrates this, you know, this group is still around um, or group the groups are still around, I should say. Um, but I think, you know, this kind of, in an ironic way, kind of um, tells us just as much about us as it does about the group. You know, I mean, you could put 20 people in a room in a restaurant and, you know, they'd have different views on, on religion and which religion is real or any real and so on. And that's what you had with these groups in the government. That A lot of them, even by their own admission, you know, they were driven by belief systems and and different uh, belief systems clashed with somebody else's belief system. And so that's why I think there was this sort of um, like butting of heads between the groups because um, because so much of it was uh, belief-driven. You know, they, they were sure uh, that they were contacting something, um, something, you know, from like a multidimensional state, that kind of thing. And some of them did actually just take the view, well, these could be just like extra dimensional entities and we don't understand what they are. Other people in the group were saying, no, because we've had all these runs of bad luck and people have died, this shows, you know, it's negative, so they have to be demons from hell. You know, that was sort of the leap they took. Um, so, but I still, as you said, you know, as I said in relation to the question, I still get people who contact me um, who've had some sort of interaction. Um, one, for example, uh, about 18 months ago, was a, was another priest, coincidentally, and he said he'd been um, sort of brought into the fold, so to speak, in 1987. And it, it, was, it was nothing sinister or weird. They just basically asked him to sign a non-disclosure um, and would he be willing to talk a little bit about the so the the various views over the centuries of what the human soul is and um you know is it an energy is it a part of us is it some residue that stays behind you know that but he he said it was basically like a DOD group and he gave sort of um like a, a, an informal lecture um, for about 15 or 16 guys on this program in 1987. And then there was sort of a Q&A where it was clear from the questions they were asking him that they were back then even in, in 87, you know, looking at this from a, from a military perspective. And, you know, I think one big takeaway, and uh, this is something kind of you're reinforcing, is that there are, I mean, this these worldviews, kind of like Lou had mentioned, and the worldviews that you kind of you uh, talk about in the book, um, such as you know Armageddon and and you know paving paving the way for Judgment Day and all of this. This is there are people that strongly, strongly believe these things, and it, and it has uh, influences a lot of of their decision making. Um, but there are many, many, many of these people, more so, I think, than people realize, because we, of course, don't see this on the news, people talking about, well, what about the demon aspect, and how are demons, you know, affecting uh, today's 
you know, are they hacking or, you know, getting into the voting systems or something? You know, we hear about Russia and the enemies, but uh, but this is more pro- prominent than perhaps many believe. Yeah, and I think one of the most disturbing things about all this, you know, when you're talking about Judgment Day and things like that, the it was clear from the people who I spoke to, and I think also with Ray and the guys he spoke to, that there it became clear that there were, and probably still are, you know, people of power and influence within government, the military and the intelligence community, who absolutely do believe that, you know, the end is around the corner. And they're not fearful of it. They em- they're ready to embrace it because they take the view that, you know, it's it's going to be like rapture and they're all going to be taken away to the, you know, the, a positive place. Um, and some of the guys in the, in the Collins elite were of the mindset that, you know, this is sort of the UFO phenomenon and the greys, which they perceived as like a demonic entity rather than extraterrestrials. They believe that this is all sort of building up from 47, you know, when the whole UFO thing kicked off big time, and that we're sort of heading for Judgment Day, you know, Armageddon, etc., etc. And they actually were ready for it. They felt it's, they, or they feel it's inevitable, and that, um, you know, it's, it's on the card, so to speak. And so for that reason, you know, you have people who in positions of power who feel that, you know, it's inevitable that we are going to do some sort of battle with these demonic entities, and that's why we need to be prepared. You know, they, they, they're fully convinced that this battle one day is going gonna, is gonna to occur, you know. And, you know, and, you know, we see this in the UFO field because, of course, there are people who believe they're channeling aliens, and some say... Oh. You know, we're on the verge of a battle with aliens. Others believe, you know, more prominent uh, seems to be the idea that disclosure is going to happen tomorrow. And, you know, we've both and and researchers who have been in this longer than us have been hearing this for decades. So uh, it always seems like uh, there a lot of people believe, you know, there's some kind of big change or event that is just around the corner. Yeah, and I mean, you know, when you said about, you know, channeling this and channeling that, I mean, you can go back throughout ufology and find, you know, multiple theories for what the UFO phenomenon is. You know, the Collins elite and these associated groups took the view they're demons. You know, I guess within ufology, the overriding view is that they're extraterrestrials. But then you had people like John Keel, who sort of viewed them as what he called ultra-terrestrials that sort of coexisted alongside us in multi-dimensions, you know, and he also pointed out some of the the parallels between ufology and, and demonology. Then you have other people who, who sort of take the time travel theory, you know, is it actually us from the future coming back? Um, so, you know, you can look at the whole phenomenon from very different perspectives, and I think that's what the Collins elite did. Um, but as I said, for me, the most fascinating thing was not so much what these people believed, but who they were, the positions they held, and how that influenced significant players, you know, in, in um, U.S. national security. Right. And what were some of the other areas that you saw this organization having success in influencing? 
Oh well, one of the one of the weirder ones um, was their view on Roswell. They absolutely believed that something did come down at Roswell that was non-human, but their view was that these demonic entities have the ability to manipulate matter, and I mean quite literally manipulate matter. And they came to believe that the you know the field of debris um, on the the Foster Ranch in in New Mexico, you know the Roswell incident, they came to believe that these entities, these demonic entities, had kind of weaved the um, the, me- the so-called memory metal by manipulating matter and they felt that also the small bodies were the creations of these demons as well sort of like um, again manipulating matter to create uh, like an entity that never really lived but you create the ruse of it having lived in other words they viewed Roswell as like a Trojan horse kind of situation where they made it look like that aliens had crashed and that they were vulnerable and that we would perceive them as extraterrestrials and potentially vulnerable, but we would then be, you know, caught in this cycle of, oh, it's okay, guys, you know, they came here, they crashed, they're not invincible after all. And and that was the way they looked at it. They viewed Roswell was like, a, like I said, like a Trojan horse designed to pre- present this image of vulnerable ETs when they were really doing it as a means to start the whole belief system in aliens. See, that's a really interesting aspect as well. And I've talked with, actually, I think I talked with Knapp and and Elizondo about this, is this idea Mm -hmm. of wanting to have knowledge. And you talked about this group, because I I actually was not aware of the other group uh, so much that was trying to harness, you know, what uh, the powers of the demons as opposed to trying to stay away. But it, it seems, yeah, there's, there's, especially with the organizations are like, oh my gosh, we got to stop looking into UFOs because this is, you know, us uh, meddling with with demonic powers. It's kind of this um, uh, assumption that there's no way that we are uh, completely powerless against these forces. Um where and the argument that I guess Lewis even made is don't you even don't you want to know more about these powers and that mm. maybe we can have some more understanding of what we're up against. Yeah, and that I think that was kind of like the um the dilemma that a lot of these people were in. They they fully believed that there were powers that could be harnessed, but the question was, well if we try and do that where are we going to stop? You know, will we end up as as bad as them because we're actually embracing, you know, d- demonic powers and, and skills? So a lot of them, uh, and certainly um, the two guys that Ray Boucher met, they felt that they were in like a religious dilemma where they got into this program to try and further like the U.S. Um, weapon systems and not realizing until they were it was too late and they were fully in it that they seemed to be dealing with something that was not extraterrestrial but which was manipulative which presented itself as extraterrestrial when it was really something else and then you had these weird weird uh, runs of bad luck and deaths and ill health and just like a dark cloud had come over it so um you know, you, again, you can understand as to why some of the people felt 
we just got to keep going. You know, it's like the train's gold waited all the way down the track already. You know, there's no point trying to stop it. Others felt that, um, you know, that nothing good can come from this. But, um, but again, you know, religion divides people all around the world. So why shouldn't it divide people within government? You know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny because you know all of the this conversation just makes the mind kind of twirl or makes it buzz. You think about so many different aspects that this would affect and how you know crazy how fascinating it is. Um, and you know there are people, um, even serious researchers in 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 the UFO sector, we'll call it, who believe who do agree in that. Um, messages that they believe are credible that have been received by individuals uh, seemingly from elsewhere they assume to be from extraterrestrials uh, have been um, deceptful uh, even in the write-up that George Knapp had posted from uh, Bigelow Aerospace's group who, who researched uh, Hunt for Skinwalker warned against that they said they felt that uh, this phenomena was deceiving them and they had to um take measures to to prepare for that mm-hmm. yeah and i think you know you put all that all that stuff together you know the george knapp material senator reed you know the the ufo program and the quotes coming out of there and then you you know you add that to my book which came out in 2010 Ray Boucher, who had the meetings, uh, or a meeting, back in 91, and some of the other people I spoke to who were consulted by the group back in the 70s, you know, it demonstrates how long this has been going on and and has been successfully hidden. Um, Primarily, I think, because, you know, it's one of these areas that I guess is, is so sort of unique to just at once, like I said at the beginning, like a cabal of people, that most people in the government even didn't know anything about it because it was so obscure. But, um, you know, it seems it's coming now more into the uh, to, to the fore, so to speak, now. It's so fascinating. So uh, I also want to ask you a little bit more about uh, if you could share kind of the story of Jack Parsons because he's a very interesting individual. Mm. Um, an actual rocket scientist. Yeah. Well, Jack Parsons, um, in the 1930s, he was one of the, the, not just the United States, but the world's, uh, one of the world's um, foremost experts in the field of rocketry. And um, he performed, you know, a lot of um, rocket experiments out in the desert and also out in Pasadena, California, um, where he and several colleagues actually uh, established NASA's what well, what would become NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, the uh, the JPL, and a lot of people don't know this, but um, NASA's JPL and every Halloween they have this little ritual um, to Jack Parsons where they all get dressed, they dress up these mannequins in like white, um, like scientific coach, you know that kind of thing, and they have this ritual. Um, it's essentially kind of uh, wow. paying homage to Jack Parsons. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but Jack Parsons, as well as being a noted rocket scientist who actually has a crater named after him on the surface of the moon, he was also someone heavily involved in the occult. 
and he actually ran the Pasadena uh, branch of Alistair Crowley's um, organization as well. And on top of that, um, Parsons was someone who was heavily involved in sort of trying to invoke um, supernatural entities. And at the very same time that he got a, a top secret clearance with the Army, Navy and the Air Force. You know, so again, this is going back to the 40s. And so you have this man, Jack Parsons, um, working on top secret programs for the U.S. government, but at the same time engaging in rituals to try and summon through supernatural entities. So um, you can see easily that there's been this relationship between the U.S. government and the occult that has gone back decades. Now, one of the interesting things that... Um, Ray Boucher's sources said to him, they didn't want to talk too much about Jack Parsons, but one of them said to Ray, Parsons was the start of it all. And what's interesting is that a lot of um, Parsons' really deep, extensive and lengthy um, plans and programs to invoke these things through occurred in 1946, which is just one year um, before the whole flying saucer phenomenon kicked off. So, and they, the Collins elite came to believe there was a connection there, that uh, they didn't feel it was coincidence that, that Parsons in 46 and 47 was doing all this, and then suddenly we have the modern era of ufology. They felt that Parsons had sort of opened the door that allowed everything to kick off in 47. And it's still here and the door's still open. Well, I mean, one other thing, again, sort of demonstrate the negative side of this. Um, Parsons uh, died in 1952 in a violent explosion in his lab at Pasadena. His legs were shattered. He lost an arm. He just about survived the drive to hospital and then uh, and died. So, you know, it was almost like that's sort of like a Faustian pact, you know what I mean? You do a deal with the devil and that's what's going to happen to you. That's how, that's how the Collins elite believed it. They felt that, that Parsons basically got into this and the, that then these creatures turned on him and, um, you know, he lost his life in the process. Oh, wow. So, and and I guess just to top this off, you were probably aware, but uh, all of this is, is fascinating. But uh, I brought him up on Wikipedia here, and there's this line that, in 1947, Parsons separated from his wife, Helen, after having an affair with her sister, Sarah, and then Sarah left him for L. Ron Hubbard. Yep. Well, L. Ron Hubbard and Jack Parsons were actually really good friends for huh. a while, and um, and at that, at that time, Hubbard himself was deeply involved in sort of like ritual magic and things like that. You know, this was years before Dianetics and Scientology. This was, uh, you know, just post-Second World War. Wow, so fascinating. So we are out of time. Thank you so much for being uh, on the show. And I think that, you know, your book, and especially what's come to pass recently, uh, I think that we have, and not you, I, I think you've taken this more seriously than most, um, that people have kind of, you know, they're really blasé about, oh, you know, those are the people who believe that aliens are demons. First of all, many of them are nice. Guy Malone, who you talked to in Roswell, I like Guy. He's yeah. a good He's a good guy. Um, but yeah. that uh, this is something that we should all be taking much more seriously than I think people do. 
Well, I mean, although I don't sort of buy into the literal right. hell angle, what I would say is that, you know, the U in UFO still stands unidentified. Mm -hmm. And we really don't know for sure what, like, for example, the greys are. You know, we know they interact with us and their abduction stories and people see in their bedrooms and so on. But, you know, if somebody asked us to, you know, reply 100% truthfully and accurately and said, what do you think they are? People can only say, well, I think they're aliens, you know. Um, but we, we just don't know. You know, we still are very much in the dark as to what the grey alien phenomenon really is. We're only told or shown images that they are extraterrestrials and we come to believe that. But, I mean, who can say that that's not a ruse, you know, just telling us what we want to hear when they're actually something else? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. The best place to go uh, to find out more information about you is nickredfern14.blogspot.com. Is that right? Yep, that's perfect, Alejandro. Thanks, yep. All right. And they can find all your books. And, of course, you're, you've got all your books on Amazon as well. Yeah, they're all available on Amazon. And probably about 50 60% you can get off the shelves in Barnes & Noble. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, be on the show. This is absolutely fascinating, and uh, you enjoy the rest of your day. You too, Alejandro. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much to Nick Redford for joining us once again on the show. He's always fascinating, and this topic is just, I just had the greatest time because, uh, you know, we've got this article from George Knapp. He's been pushing this idea that uh, these religious factions had such an effect on uh, the funding getting taken away from the government UFO paranormal studies. Then we had Louise's article from the other day re-emphasizing that point. And now we have uh, Nick Redfern here to share with us his research about the fascinating background of these organizations. It's so incredible. Uh, so just really, really happy to have Nick here uh, to talk about that. Uh, be sure to check him out on his page. Uh, we talked about where he you can find him, nickredfern14.blogspot.com. We'll have a link uh, in the show notes. And then also, uh, don't forget AlienCon. So I'll be speaking at AlienCon if you live in the Baltimore area. That is November 9th to the 11th. So that's this weekend. I've got like three lectures I'm going to be doing, and I'll be on a panel. So, and then uh, the rest of the time, I'll be at the UFO Congress booth helping to sell lots of the cool, like, UFO and alien uh, things that uh, Karen has gotten for us uh, for the booth. Lots of really, really cool stuff. So, really excited to be there and to see everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Nick Pope is going to be there, which is great. Ryan Sprague, Jason McClellan, who used to work with Open Minds. Um, Giorgio, of course, will be there. Uh, he's a good friend. And then uh, David Hatcher Childress. I know I'm forgetting a lot of people, but uh, some of my friends that I'm really excited to see. So I hope that uh, I'll see you there, too. Be sure and come by and say hi if uh, you make it out there for the weekend. Otherwise, I want to remind you, I've got UFOs Seriously live on YouTube, 6 p.m. every Thursday. That's my live show. I'm actually going to be traveling this Thursday, so I'm not sure if I'll get a show, but I'm committed to do it, so I might just even do some updates or say something from my cell phone live on YouTube when I get a chance uh, for that show. Otherwise... 
Remember, we've got an Open Mind UFO group on Facebook where we have a lot of discussion about the UFO news, such as the things that Martin and I talked about at the beginning of the show. I have a Patreon, and I want to thank so much to my uh, patrons on Patreon. If you go to openminds.tv, you'll be able to click on a link that will take you to my Patreon site. And I want to thank some of my patrons like Amy and Andrew and David and Gary and Guillaume. I'm sorry, I know I probably said that wrong, but uh, James. Uh, who else? We got Joseph. We have Leela. We have Les. We have Richard. We have Ron. We have Ryan. Ryan, the same Ryan Sprague. We actually uh, support each other on Patreon. Stuart and Waylon. That's just some of them. So thank you all so much for helping me out there. And you can check out a lot of my latest information. In fact, in this last week, I had a great uh, interview with an astronaut who helped uh, with the television or the movie First Man. He helped make it realistic, but his story is super fascinating. He was a capsule commander during Apollo 15, uh, in which he was alone in this capsule for several days orbiting the moon. I've got the story on it uh, from on Den of Geek, and you can see that at my Patreon site. Or on my social media. Uh, check out ufocongress.com. We'll have information there soon about the upcoming conference. In fact, we have the location and stuff like that there. And then all of these cool products that we're going to be selling at AlienCon, uh, we will have up at the site. In fact, when I was doing UFO Seriously Live, people could see this lamp that we have where it's got this UFO that blinks and these LEDs that glow, and it actually hovers. It is literally anti-gravity. Uh, it uses magnets, but this thing, this UFO hovers, and it's a Bluetooth speaker. So that's a really cool product we'll have up at the website. And, of course, you can see all of this, all of the news, links to the uh, UFO Congress, my Patreon, all of this at openminds.tv. That's the hub, openminds.tv. Thank you to Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. I always get people saying how cool it is, and I love it as well. More information at the Open Mind UFO radio page on how to find out more about Caleb's awesome music. Thank you to Systematics for the bumper music. And, of course, thank you to you, the listeners. We will have a show next week. And, uh, in fact, I'll be interviewing Calvin Parker of the Pascagoula incident. I'll be telling you more about that next week. Until then... Adios, muchachos.